Chapter 8 Another's Mantle Even as we waved goodbye to the bloom fields, rumblings of discontent amongst the Ellerslie Maoris grew louder. Within two weeks they had taken their departure, only to become scattered as Ray had forecast. The gap, a hundred people left in our congregation, was discouraging. But it didn't end there. In a month, our numbers dropped from 400 to 80. It appeared the revival fires were dying. This testing time drove Frank to his knees. Brother Houston is putting on a brave front, someone in the assembly said. Brother Houston wasn't putting on a brave front. He was following Ray's prophecy and the word in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Things would change, he was sure, but he wondered what Ray would think when he heard this congregation had dropped so disastrously. And here he would, from someone in the congregation. Frank decided to get in first. He wrote immediately to tell Ray of this apparent disaster. The saints who had been most closely associated with Ray were already pressuring Frank. The nucleus, they called themselves. Frank, you should visit those people to encourage them to come back. Although he hated losing people, Frank didn't feel led to do this. Anxiously, Frank awaited Ray's reply. When it came, it was in no way condemnatory. You explain a little about losing some while not wishing to lose any. The success of your work will not depend on how many you have lost or retained, but rather on how many new ones you have added. In our kind of work, we must expect many to come for the loaves and the fishes and then leave. Some will stay to help us in the fight against sin, sickness and disease. Fight the good fight, keep the faith, go on for the crown. Frank remembered his Bible college principal's words. We are engaged in a war, and in a war there will be casualties. Two months went by without any new people appearing in the church. When you preach, you get what you go for, Ray had once told Frank. Frank was going for souls and to free the captives of Satan, and he determined to preach his best no matter how many were in the meeting. When a new family appeared one Sunday night, Frank felt in his spirit that this was the beginning of a new move. The recession was over. The next Sunday, there were more new families. Every Sunday after that, new people came. While some of the Maoris drifted back, soon there was standing room only. Frank realised he had the same faith as Ray to see God working in miraculous power in the lives of people. He knew he was indeed wearing another's mantle. The atmosphere in the meetings became electric as people witnessed miracles and healings every week while the lost were still finding Jesus as saviour. Yet all did not believe in spite of seeing the power of God at work. The congregation was tense the night a blind brother came for healing. He couldn't distinguish between light and dark since he'd lost his sight five years before. Frank could feel faith in the man. 
Still, he asked, Do you have faith that Jesus Christ will open your eyes tonight? I know he will. His voice was full of confidence. I rebuke this spirit of blindness in Jesus' name. Frank spoke with divine authority. Suddenly, the man pointed in Frank's direction. I see the Pakeha, he shouted. What does he look like? Frank asked. Beautiful. The congregation rocked with laughter, but as the man counted the lights in the building and described the colour of the ties worn by the men standing at the back, the laughter turned to praise. At least all praised God except one, a visitor from another denomination. The lady asked sarcastically, was he really blind? Did all believe in Jesus' day? The meeting was over and the man stepped out into the blackness of the night. For one awful moment he thought he'd lost his sight again, but he was still seeing weeks later. The story of this miracle spread around, bringing to the meeting a lady blind for 43 years again. Frank came against the spirit of blindness in the name of Jesus. Breathlessly the congregation waited for the miracle. Nothing. Frank prayed again. I command this spirit of blindness to leave. The woman claimed to see a faint light, but nothing more. This time God healed gradually. It was a month before she could see clearly enough to cross the city's main street unaided. Frank remembered that the Bible spoke of the blind man seeing men as walking trees. Now he understood that God was sovereign in his dealings with people. Not all would receive miracles, nor would they receive healing in the same way. Some would not be healed at all, but there is no doubt that Jesus does heal today. As the work in Ellerslie multiplied, bringing new demands, efforts were made to maintain the Maori meetings in the north. The church elders shared the responsibility by going alternate weekends to Waiomio. News of God's power was spreading fast. The Waiomio saints were arranging meetings in other villages. Frank filled these other engagements whenever he could. Many of the old people spoke little English, and Frank did not speak Māori except for one phrase. It was enough to make one old lady think he could understand the language. She came for healing. Wakapono ki uhu karaiti, Frank asked. Yes, she had faith in Jesus Christ. Convinced that Frank could understand, she poured forth her story in a torrent of words. The only interruption was Frank's eye, which made her think all the more he knew what she was saying. The interpreter grinned. He knew that Frank didn't understand any of it. It didn't matter. Frank placed his hands on the woman's head as he prayed, Lord, touch this servant of yours and make her whole. Her face lit up. All the evidence we needed to know God had answered prayer. Who said God was an Englishman anyway, Frank would often say. Forty miles from Waimeo was the settlement of Titi. No Pakaha had been allowed into this place since a false prophet had tried to establish a new religion there years before. The ruined foundations of a temple bore mute testimony of a disaster. The door into Titi was opened when relatives persuaded the reluctant elders to let Frank visit the village. He was aware of their opposition and felt some trepidation as they drove into the Marae, the meeting place of the people watched by the curious eyes of a group of naked children. 
A good congregation gathered in spite of some opposition. Satan was not about to relinquish his group easily. We've come to see what the Pakaha has to offer, the elder said in his welcome speech, though Frank was uncertain how welcome he really was. Lord, you'd better do something good tonight or your servant will be thrown out. He preached that night as though his life depended on it. Well, perhaps not his life, but certainly his bodily comfort did. Faces were so serious that he wasn't sure if they understood. Was the interpreter faithful in his translation? Perhaps they are simply weighing up my words. He concluded his message with the usual appeal for those who wanted Jesus to be their saviour to stand up. They all stood up. They must have misunderstood what I said, Frank thought. He was puzzled at the response, so he asked them all to sit down again. Following a further explanation of what he was asking them to do, he invited them to stand up again. Once more, they all rose to their feet. Do they understand what I'm saying? He asked the interpreter. Yes, they understand, he replied. They all want to get saved. Now came the real test. Would all of those who need healing come now and I'll pray for you? Not a soul moved. Jesus wants to heal you tonight. Come now so that I can lay hands on you and pray for you. Still no one moved. Frank was perplexed. Nowhere had there been his reluctance to come for prayer. Then an elderly lady rose stiffly to her feet. Leaning heavily on a stick, she stumbled forward. Severe arthritis, Frank thought. If she was not healed, he'd be regarded as much a phony as the false prophet. He would also be thrown out. He thought of his skinny frame landing unceremoniously outside the gate. Lord, I'm a bit of a coward and I don't want to be thrown out. It's now or never. Heal this woman for your servant's sake. Aloud, he shouted, I command this arthritis to leave this body now in the name of Jesus. Instantly, there were clicking sounds as the woman straightened herself. With the pain gone, she tossed away her stick and marched round the meeting house. Suddenly, the prayer line stretched the length of the hall. People rushed to their homes to get the sick. Two and a half hours later, Frank prayed for the last person. He glanced at his watch. Midnight. He felt exhausted. Bed would be good tonight. That was when he was asked to pray for a man who'd been bedridden for five years. Of course I will, he replied. He wished he wasn't so willing as he stumbled up a steep hill with a dozen people. The light of the torch barely lit the rough path they had to follow, but when Frank looked at the sick man, compassion replaced his tiredness. This man needed God. Have you given your heart to God, he asked. That was almost the first question when he ministered to a stranger. If the answer was no, he'd tell the sinner Jesus could change his life. You can go to heaven with a sick body, but you cannot go with a sick soul, he explained. He led the man to Jesus, then prayed for his healing. Nothing seemed to happen that night. But the next night at a meeting in the small township of Moera, that man walked into the meeting unaided. The place turned into an uproar with shouts of praise to God. Northland was aflame with the moving of the Holy Spirit. If we went shopping, the assistants asked us about the healings. Taxi drivers continued to wonder about the loss of their Saturday business, and Frank knew that God had given him a measure of faith similar to Ray's. The move of God's Spirit was only hindered by ambitious men who desired places of leadership 
beyond the call of God. One with a tremendous ministry and personal witnessing coveted the pulpit ministry God had given Frank. Against all advice given by experienced men of God, he set out for the North determined to preach in pulpit meetings. The meetings in TT resented his coming without invitation, closing the village once more against the ministry of Pakahas. The others in the mission caused concern. News of the problems filtered through to Ray, who had now been away six months, instead of the three he planned. Immediately he wrote with some advice. I've just heard of the little trouble you've had with some of the meetings. I was sure this would arise, but just as sure it would do you all good. It is when we are driven to our knees that God speaks with words of wisdom. May I make a suggestion with regard to the situation? I am not interfering with your leadership in any way, but because we love each other, I offer you, I offer you a few little tips from one minister to another that may help you, Brother Frank. Nobody knows like you that behind our brother's trouble there is a definite lack of love. A man lacking in love is a dangerous man to himself first and then to others. You see, the harm he's doing to us or even the church is nothing to the harm he's doing to himself. We must show love to save him from himself. Some will say, if only Ray knew. My beloved Frank, love is the answer. It never fails. All else will. Temper every wind that blows with mercy. I have absolute faith in your judgment. Sometimes we must shut out the advice of our friends and judge with love and understanding where they would judge on what has been wrongly done. God does not deal with us after our sins. He moved on to speak about a prominent woman in the church. She will make a better friend than enemy, and every effort should be made to show her real love and understanding. We do not want enemies within if we can avoid them. Since the loss of her husband, she's found escape in the realm of service to God. But being unlearned, she's in danger of making a shipwreck of her life also. Fortunately, wearing another's mantle didn't, didn't mean copying his ways or aping his thoughts. Frank's understanding of love differed from Ray's. He was sure these people would do exactly as they wanted, regardless of anything he might say. He did nothing. But there were principles Frank and Ray knew were necessary to the success of God's work. While unity and love were essential, they needed to be bound together with loyalty. Ray also wrote about this. I do love the great Elizabeth Tamakai faith mission. I see in it the great ideal as far as evangelism is concerned. Also, I see in it the blessedness of working together in unity and oneness. When I think of the way ministries function together without the old green-eyed monster coming up, I praise the Lord. Frank, we have proved there is a body ministry and my motto is, every joint supplies. Many will pretend to want to help you and make offers for the so-called glory of God. They seek the secret of your oil. Believe me, dear Frank, that when so many ambitious folk come along, they will bring the work to a standstill. It would be lack of loyalty which God used to confirm the end of our ministry in Ellerslie. Frank felt it was time to move out into the community by having a crusade in the next suburb. He booked the high school hall and our people distributed leaflets advertising the meetings. Only one elder, who was also the treasurer, had doubts. But he seemed to go along with the rest. The saints prayed that God would reach down to people as we reached out to them. 
In the middle of these preparations, Frank flew 400 miles south at the invitation of the Lower Hutt Church to preach over a weekend. As I waved goodbye, I had a strange feeling that this was no ordinary weekend of meetings. I prayed for Frank with an intensity I rarely felt. Then I thought I saw the reason for the invitation. They were going to call him to be their pastor. I must be wrong. We hadn't heard that Pastor Midgley was leaving Lower Hutt. The idea wouldn't go away. Was this the Holy Spirit or my own imagination? I wasn't sure. Well, I'd know soon enough. When Frank arrived back, he chatted on about the 13 who were saved and the 16 filled with the Spirit. Stop it, man, I thought. Come to the point. Finally, I interrupted him. When are we moving? Frank looked aghast. How did you know they'd call us? Did someone phone you? Then it is right. Yes, after the meeting, the elders asked me to meet them. I was sure I had offended them in some way and they were going to tell me off. Instead, they told me Bob Minster would go to Japan if we accepted a call to replace him. I came away convinced I'd be writing back, declining the invitation. Now I'm confused. But how did you know? I guess the Holy Spirit told me. At least that was a more spiritual answer than I just knew. I guess the Holy Spirit told me. At least that was a more spiritual answer than to say I just knew. Thoughts for and against the move whirled around in our minds for days without any clear leading. Why should we leave a church in revival for one with only 40 members, peaking at 60 on special occasions? Who could possibly care for Ellerslie? Why leave our new house, the first we've been able to call our own? Ray had moved to Canada in 1955, and in 1957 he still showed no sign of returning. He wouldn't be pleased if we left. Besides, there was the coming crusade in Panmure. We decided we wouldn't tell anyone, not even the children, until we had some clear guidance. The whole church would be rocked if the people thought we were moving on. Frank began to fight against what he knew somehow was inevitable. I think I'll talk to old brother Thompson, Frank announced one morning. As the secretary treasurer of the Assemblies of God, he will know what is best. He once told Frank to stay with the work during Ray's absence. Pastor Wallace Thompson had a special interest in the mission and Frank felt he was bound to tell him to stay. You know, brother, while I was flying home, I decided to stay here. When Hazel said she knew about the call before I told her, I felt more confused than ever. The old pastor looked over the top of his glasses and in his deep, penetrating voice said, Brother Frank, I think you should go. Frank reeled at his words. That wasn't what he wanted to hear. Could this old man who prostrated himself before God every morning have got his guidance wrong for once? Frank was still restless and unsettled in his spirit when the telephone rang. It was Henry Smith. Frank, I'm ringing on behalf of the elders. We have decided that the Panmure Crusade is off. We can't afford it, so I've cancelled the haul. You've what? Frank was shouting. Cancelled the haul. Henry, what are you saying? You mean you have cancelled the crusade without discussing it with me? That's right. Henry, love and unity are necessary for the progress of God's work, but so is loyalty. Is this being loyal? 
Biting anger was in Frank's voice. Who's running this church, he thought, as he slammed the phone on its hook. Hazel, I'm going to my room to fast and pray until I find the mind of God. I don't want to be disturbed for anything, even if it takes a week or a month to find the answer. He disappeared through the door with his Bible in his hand. Well, that will make the cooking lighter for a day or two, I thought. Five minutes later, he was back. Get out the boxes, we're moving. See this? He pointed to his Bible. Get thee out of the north country into the south, I read. Who could argue with this confirmation? The people in the mission were upset. Frank, you can't leave us. It's obvious that Ray isn't coming back. And who else has a ministry like you two? Our thoughts exactly, but God had said go. Frank wrote to Ray immediately. He trembled as he opened the next Canadian letter. Dear Frank, loving greetings in the name of Jesus. The news of your intention to leave Ellerslie was indeed a shattering blow. I know of no other way to describe my feelings. However, I wish you God's blessing in your new post. I do trust you'll prove to be a great fighter in the cause of Christ. Never look back. Always keep firing and never trust the enemy. I'm sure you will give full proof of your ministry. Lots of things are on my mind as I type this letter. I am wondering about the saints at Ellerslie. You must know, as I do, that except there be strong evangelistic ministry there, it will not grow. Churches grow on evangelism as far as numbers are concerned. Who can meet that immediate need? I trust you will see that some kind of satisfactory arrangement is made for the ministerial needs of Ellerslie. Frank, go with my blessing. Remember, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Give them the works down there and have great Holy Ghost revival. God be with you, dear ones. Love, Ray. The umbilical cord was broken. As Frank put the letter down, he glanced out the lounge room window. The sun was shining in a field of ripe coxfoot grass. Suddenly it appeared to be blown by a gentle breeze. Every seed head seemed to turn into a human being. I saw a multitude of people praising God, he told me. Like a deep inner prophecy, God said, I will cause you to raise up an evangelistic centre in Lower Hutt that will finally have an outreach to the world. It will touch a multitude of people. While Frank had his vision, I had drowned the floor with my tears at the thought of leaving these people who had helped us to dramatically change our lives. Well, I could be thankful for this move I wasn't pregnant. Our fifth child was three months old.